Welcome to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is a community helping New Yorkers embody the love of Christ for the good of our neighbors. For more information, go to goodshepherdnewyork.com. May you be filled with curiosity, grace, and peace as we listen and learn together through this sacred text. And now a reading from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And now having heard our Gospel text, we take a moment of quiet to center ourselves in this moment. Uh, make it holy. That's what holiness is about, is our presence. And so, whatever you bring into this moment, whether it's lots of faith or doubt, just simply bring your full self and let's ask and invite God to meet us through this story. Would you join me? God, we open ourselves to you as we consider this story afresh. Create and stir in us joy. Amen. Well, this week... I learned something new about my origin story. My parents were married in a Catholic church in the suburbs of Chicago. Now, I knew this. But what I didn't know is that part of the ceremony involved my mom and dad kneeling in front of a statue of the Blessed Mary. I learned that they had blue flowers in their hands as an offering, a gift, praying that their first child would be a masculine child. And as they kneeled before the image of the Virgin Mary, they had the Beatles song, Let It Be, played. Now, for some reason, this newfound story of my origin sparked incredible joy. My smile widened, I laughed out loud, I exhaled a sigh of relaxation. And when I thought about why, it wasn't that they prayed for a boy, right? That, that's sort of a vestige of uh, larger patriarchal value systems, which admittedly are cringy for me. It wasn't that somehow God via Mary answered their prayer. And it wasn't even that a Beatles song was paired with their intent to have me in their lives, although I have to admit that was quite nice. I think it was nice just to simply feel new connections to my origin, to know that my mom and dad got on their knees and they asked for me. Right? I felt wanted, I felt intended, and I discovered this bit of information on a week when I was reflecting on Mary herself, her moment of joyful consent, let it be, and this revolutionary burst of joy uh, of, of song that follows. Now, Mary's joy in this song 
is so unexpected and it is so unlikely. This is a dark moment for Mary. She's received the worst possible news that an unmarried 13-year-old Jewish girl living in first century Palestine could possibly receive. She's pregnant. Now this hits me more deeply now, though our cultures are certainly removed because my daughter turned 13 this year. Mary has some explaining to do to her fiance, to her family, that she is pregnant with God's baby, right? This wild angelic announcement, it troubles her greatly, which obvious. And in this time of bewilderment, where does she turn? Perhaps because the angel told her about uh, Elizabeth's unlikely pregnancy, she turns to that family member first. And in this dark moment of crisis, laced with potential shame and loaded with the possibility of rejection, she discovers something powerful and beautiful, a welcome reception. Someone believes her in this moment of crisis. Someone affirms her, sees her, cherishes her, and together they connect deeply to a narrative that's different than the one that the gossip circuit is sure to create with the same news. This isn't, as it turns out, the end of her life. It's the beginning of life for the entire world. Now, the combination of this awareness and someone who bears witness to it, it creates an unexpected connection that explodes into a song of revolutionary joy. Now, joy is about good connections. It's the brain's way of rewarding the body and incentivizing it, basically saying, this connection is incredible, take care of that. And this song is filled with these precious connections. It's as if her eyes have been opened to see powerful and fresh connections, not just in her mind, but in her heart and in her body. In this song, we find a through line to her past and to her people, and that connection sparks joy. This collection of data points that at one point seemed terrible and threatening, kind of like musicians warming up before an orchestra performance, has just come together in a harmonious way, and she can hear its beauty. In this moment, she starts to think of Abraham and her ancestors. Quote, God has remembered to be merciful to Abraham, end quote. That's her exclamation. And when I read that, I thought, Abraham? See, Mary isn't a Westerner like us. She doesn't read this moment through individualist eyes. I think of, of this as a Mary moment, and she thinks of it as a lineage moment. She knows in her bones the profound connection that God is forging with the past. And all of a sudden, the old synagogue story of Anna's song comes to her lips. Most of the words in this song are echoed in Anna's prayer in the Hebrew Bible, and she takes it on as her own. You ever know an old story, but because of your circumstances, that story now pops or explodes with meaning? That's happening right now for Mary here. And it isn't just a connection with her past that we find here in her moment of joy. There's a broader connection that she's feeling with her people. She cries out, he has helped his servant Israel. Now, I read that and I say, no, Mary has been helped here. But in this mystical, ecstatic burst of joy, she all of a sudden is overwhelmed by her rich connection to a community that is beyond and around her connections, whether to our past or to the people in our lives, they spark joy. But it's complicated, 
isn't it? I mean, I know that most of us have troubled relationships with our past and with our people. And when it comes to our pasts, we have our personal past and we have the religious traditions that we were brought up in. When we experience pain in both, we often feel the need to leave them behind, right? To cut ties. But in the words of Cornell West, it's okay and it's even beautiful to be doing, doing two things simultaneously, recovering tradition and recovering from tradition. When we recover tradition or our past, we reach back and we seek to foster connection with it. Now, when we're recovering from a tradition or our past, we are fostering healing. Our church has been this kind of place for people who are both recovering tradition and recovering from it. And we've known the joy of fostering those connections and that healing. I think we've become that kind of community because our leaders are continuing to and have walked that path. And so we become wounded healers for one another as a result. And it's beautiful. So much joy is here. It seems that joy tilts on the axis of how we relate to suffering and pain. There is this fascinating connection between suffering and joy in the Bible. Of Jesus, the book of Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Peter says, rejoice when you share in Christ's sufferings. James says, count it all joy when you face various trials. And Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings. And then he gives this cascade of outcomes that follows a moment of suffering matched with resilience. Now, there's something about suffering that tells the truth about our lies, about our mirages, our fantasies. It burns them down. It exposes their impotence to do anything truly meaningful or lasting. But when the flames of our ego fantasies are raging and we still find love, Right? When we find that there's still delight, still wonder, still meaning, that there's still people in our lives who care and love us, something begins to happen. Indeed, as my song of origin story says, when I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary calls to me, speaking words of wisdom. And she continues to call to all of us as we face our trouble. Now, what is her wisdom? What does she have to share with us in this song? In her time of trouble, something bubbles up. It's an awareness that there's an indomitable something in our lives that can't be thwarted by pain or by suffering. But we have to be able to get there. A fascinating thought occurred to me this week reflecting on this story. An unwillingness to attend to our suffering or our pain is an unwillingness to claim joy. Now, psychologists are teaching us that there's an arc to our negative emotions, things like sadness or fear or anger. And a lot of times we avoid these emotions because we're worried that as they climb, they will sort of never end or overwhelm us. But as they rise and as they fall, there's a positive emotion that follows, a peace, a serenity, a calm, a connection, and often a joy. We know what it's like to chase success, to chase wealth, to chase the accumulation of stuff, to chase status, but we also know that it can be joyless. Most of us have tasted joyless success or joyless wealth or joyless stuff or pleasure. See, joy is cut off to us when our defenses are up and our hearts are closed. 
And often the things we fantasize about, the illusions that pull us forward into the world, are simply our attempts to defend against our pain or to cover up over our wounds. But joy is available to us when we open up, when we let ourselves feel and desire good things and connections. It was Brené Brown who said that joy is perhaps the most vulnerable emotion, and I think she's right. See, we become convinced that if we allow ourselves to feel or desire good things, to really enjoy them and savor them, to accept them, that we'll be disappointed. It's the feeling of a parent looking over their sleeping child and wondering, oh my goodness, if anything ever happened to them, I'd be ruined. Or recognizing that when our jobs are going kind of well, or our families or our health, we think, oh my God, what's coming next? And so we defend ourselves from these disappointments and we lose joy in the process. Our defenses get in the way. We could become worried, worried that whatever good thing might, it might be, that it'll be taken away, that we will lose it, and we become worried, worried, worried. Worried, uh, worry can be the thief of joy. Worry is full of uh, a form of armor. Worry can be a pseudo-vulnerable attempt at self-defense. I say pseudo-vulnerable because worry feels weak sometimes. It can feel like, oh, I'm just being honest about what I'm afraid about. But I think it's pseudo-vulnerable in that it's kind of a, an attempt at self-defense. It's rehearsing a disaster in our minds before it happens as a way to stave off the sort of jolt of surprising occurrences. We believe that if we can forecast our disasters like the weather, that they won't hurt us as badly. But this only adds to our pain. Because when something hurtful happens, it still hurts, no matter how much we've rehearsed it in our minds. And if we've been rehearsing the pain in advance, we've only added suffering to suffering. But joy arrives from hope. And hope arises when we have felt a terrible thing and it doesn't destroy us. When hope arises when we have done a difficult thing and we're not overcome. Right? We begin to get this confidence this momentum. Not that difficult things don't exist or won't exist on the horizon, but that when we face that difficult thing, we'll have the resources to make it through. And so when we realize that, we can let go, like Mary. We take a conscious act of trust that tomorrow, in the words of Jesus, will take care of itself. We release ourselves to be present now to this one moment that is truly the only moment we have, that we can never get back. We release ourselves to experience the only place where life can be lived, here and now. Mary had a legitimate reason to be sad and angry and afraid of her circumstances, but here she's surprised by joy. In making room for moments like her angelic encounter, in making room for trusting vulnerable difficult truths to her family member Elizabeth, she made room for joy. See, joy is elusive. It's not transactional. You can't control it or manufacture it. I can't say to you, if you do this, you'll have joy. When you hear someone saying something like that, they're probably selling something. But we can create space for it. When we create space to honor the connections that produce joy in our lives, we make space for joy. Making time for family, making time for friends, making time for health, eating, exercise, making time for rest. All of these activities create an ecosystem where joy can emerge and can surprise us. It's no wonder that we 
refuse joy or we are absent of joy, when we burn our, can- our, our, our sort of wick all the way down. This has been a hard year where the lines between work and leisure, work and home have been so blurred and many of our connections suffer as a result. I find that it's so hard to give my best energy to work and my best energy to my family because it's just all in front of me all the time. How can we position ourselves in a time of pandemic to know joy? Well, for me, I sat down this week and I considered how I can make space for joy, how I can honor the connections in my life. And so I wrote a list, a list of things that I'm going to do as I come to the end of this year, how I'm going to make space for it. First thing is, I'm gonna make space for therapy. I'm gonna make space to sit down with someone to process how I feel and how I'm approaching the relationships of my life. Now, I'm also going to, as someone who lives literally above the store, start creating better boundaries between work and family, between work and play. I'm gonna take some pressure off of my brain's arousal system that kicks in when I go into work mode and give it a rest so that I can enjoy the people and the moments that are right in front of me. I wanna become like a person uh, that Elizabeth was for Mary, someone who can see and bear witness to and affirm the people facing trouble in their lives right now. I'm gonna make time to call my extended family more often. I'm gonna look at my life, the, the friends of my life in the eye and tell them how much I appreciate their presence and their care in my life. These are the ways that my imagination sort of went forward as I thought about making space for joy. And I wonder where you will go as you consider what what it means to make space for joy in your life. May God help us. May God give us courage and vision to know what it looks like to honor the connections of our lives that spark joy. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is an interdenominational church centered around the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Our church is theologically rooted in the Apostles and Nicene creeds, but we welcome people of any or no religious backgrounds to participate in our community. If you would like to support us, please text Good Shepherd NY, all lowercase with no spaces, to 77977. That's Good Shepherd NY to 77977. Or visit our website, goodshepherdnewyork.com. Thank you for listening.